I also said this as I waste time as Vaughn gets on stage. It's also not long because Vaughn takes two steps and he's here. Can we just acknowledge how big this music stand is like compared to the average person? Like compared to me and it's so normal for you. <laughs> I always tell Vaughn and his kids and Lorelei they can rub planes, but uh, <laughs> enjoy. Oh, goodness, eh? Thank you uh, for that introduction, Dunks. Um, I'm prepared this morning. You know when your, your, your wife gives you like a harder piece of, uh, yeah, it's going to get wild here this morning, um, just in case I get really hot. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Vaughan. I'm one of the pastors here at City. If you're visiting with us, so good to uh, have you uh, with us today. Please make yourself at home and uh, everybody who's uh, with us online, welcome to you guys too. Uh, yeah, sure. God is doing an incredible thing in our, t in our church, um, and his, the, the, the year has started off with a bang. As we were busy worshiping uh, earlier on, I had this picture, and uh, I don't know how many of you have been to the bush, but it's a place where you can really slow down. Slow down, and you're trying to spot that, 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 that leopard that James is like feeling at you on the front row. Um, you know, you can spot that leopard, that lion, whatever. But I felt uh, God gave me this picture. So I want you just to close your eyes for a couple of moments. It's so good for us to actually slow down. And I feel like there's some of us that have been waiting for God, or on God, for different things. Maybe exhausted, you just need his strength. I don't know what it is for you. And sometimes when you're in the bush, you try and slow down and you just don't see anything. But in this picture that I had, I saw this leopard coming out of the grass. And I feel like God is saying, he's wanting to do something in people's hearts this morning. And it's something beautiful. Maybe this is even the day where Jesus wants you to know his love, the deepest possible level that you can. Alvira had that word right at the beginning about something beautiful. God's wanting to do something beautiful in your life today. He's not afar off. Just slow down from the, from the rush of getting to church and just speak to him for a couple of moments. Say, Lord, I want to hear what it is that you want to say to me today. Lord, I want to say thank you for every single person sitting in this room right now. I want to say thank you that you love them deeply. You know them. You know what they're facing. You know their, their, their joys. You know their sadnesses. And Lord, you're wanting to meet with us today. You want to meet with us just with that excitement that we have of a leopard coming out of the bush. You're, you're wanting people to see you afresh again and for that to do something in their hearts. Lord, won't you have your way this morning, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in week two of a series that we've called Our God Is, and it's really just a series where we'll be taking some time to look at the attributes of God. It's so important for us to understand the character of our God, because when we uh, ever increasingly, and I say ever increasingly, there's no way that uh, you can understand one or more of the characteristics of God fully because He's God and we're not. 
we grow in our understanding of his attributes over many, many years. But it's so important for us to have a deeper understanding of uh, who he is because it affects our surrender to him. It's, uh, it affects our worship of him. It affects our trust in him. And it affects our enjoyment of him. Why is that? Because it's linked, those things are linked to how we view him. How we view God affects how we surrender to him, how we trust him, how we enjoy him. And God's not just wanting us to know these characteristics so that we can tick a box and say, intellectually, I know who God is. I have an understanding of him. It's not for an intellectual reason. It's for a heart reason. It's because God wants our heart, the deepest part of who we are, to know who he is. Because when we know who he is, it props up and strengthens our heart because we know who he is. He's wanting our faith and our hope to be shaped. He's wanting the expectations of our heart to, uh, to rise, uh, to be raised. Because he's wanting to use our lives to do his great exploits through. And if we don't know who our God is, we're not, going to, we're not going to embrace the things that he has for us at the level that he wants us to. And so as we see him, we respond to him. As we see him, we respond to him. As you know, last week, James kicked us off and uh, we're gonna be looking at this series through the Psalms. And uh, the Psalm that we're gonna look at today is not a Psalm of David. Sometimes when you think about the Psalms, we automatically think David. There are other writers of the Psalm, Psalms. Today's Psalm is written by Moses. It's actually the only Psalm that is attribu uh, attributed to him. And it's important for us when we read the Psalms to also recognize that God, uh, those Psalms are written in different styles and genres because God is wanting to do something in our lives through those Psalms. Uh, for some of the Psalms, he's want to inspire, wanting to inspire worship. For other Psalms, he's wanting to inspire a remembrance of how good our God is. For others, he's wanting to inspire a lament and a repentance. That doesn't sound like such a nice one, does it? But it's such a healthy one. And then uh, others, he's wanting to encourage just an element of gratitude and thanks. There are these different styles that the, that, that, that the Psalms are written in. Last week, James was very clear that the psalm that we looked at last week was a psalm to inspire worship. Well, today's psalm is a psalm to inspire wisdom. To show us how to take God's word and apply it to our lives. He's wanting today's psalm to be applied to my life and to your life. Before we get into uh, today's uh, psalm, I do want to uh, just recap on some of the attributes that James looked at last week. And the way that I want to do that is I want us to look at how God's attributes that we looked at last week are displayed in Moses' story and in Moses' um, life. So here are some of the attributes that we looked at last week. Our God is helper. Our God is good. Our God is king. Our God is unsearchable. Our God saves. And where do we see this displayed in Moses' life? Now, it's not always possible to definitively put it into one of these categories, but this is just how I see it this morning. Where do we see this in Moses' life? We see how God is helper. When Moses' mother is able to hide him for three months, when she's able to take him and then put him into a basket and put him on the river, we see God helping his mother. We see God helping Moses 
in the first few moments after, after Pharaoh's daughter sees him. She sees him in this basket and she, she immediately says, I know this is a Hebrew boy, which technically meant that she should have taken this boy and thrown him in, into the river because Pharaoh, her father, had, yeah, Pharaoh, had said every um, boy is to be thrown into the Nile and drowned. But instead of her doing that, the Bible says she felt sorry for him. That is a God is my helper kind of moment. Our God is good. Moses' sister is standing nearby uh, when Pharaoh's daughter finds, finds him. And, uh, and she says to her, why don't you, uh, should I call a Hebrew woman to come and nurse her? And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes, I'm going to do that. Call her. And so she calls Moses' mom. How good is God that she gets to have input into her son's life? I'm sure she never anticipated that when she put him into that basket to set him off down the river. Our God is king. He's king over every human king. Doesn't matter how powerful that king is or how powerful that president is. He's king over every aspect of nature. He can send the plague. He can halt a plague. He accomplishes what he purposes to accomplish. He is king. Our God is unsearchable. We can't get our head around him. Um, he's too big for us. We can't understand him completely. I mean, think about a bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed by that fire. Our God is unsearchable. Think about people, God's people, walking through the sea on a pathway that is dry with a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left is what the Bible says. Our God is unsearchable. He does things that we can't get our heads around. Our God saves. He saves the people of Israel from the worst of the plagues that was going to come. The plague of the death of the firstborn son in every family. His requirement in order for him to pass over the family was for the Israelite people to take the blood of a spotless lamb and paint it on the door frames of their houses. And he said, when I see that blood on the door frame of your house, I'm gonna pass over you. And that is exactly what he does. Then the Egyptian army pursues them all the way up to the Red Sea and uh, people go through the sea and uh, when the army comes through the sea, what does God do? Just swallows them up in the middle of the sea. Our God saves. See, the thing is with these attributes, they're not for one generation and not for one person. Moses knew the attributes of God. David knew the attributes of God. We can know the attributes of God um, today as we sit in this uh, room. So let's get into today's psalm. As I said, Moses wrote this psalm, and he's writing it at the end of his days, really. He's looking back at uh, his life and the nation of Israel's life. He's recognizing who God is, and as he recognizes who God is, um, he thinks about where he and the nation are at, and then he responds. This week's psalm, as I said, is to inspire the pursuit of a lifestyle of wisdom. One that considers the number of our days, applies God's wisdom to it so that we can live fruitful lives and God-filled lives, not wasted lives. Did you hear what I said? 
It's so that we can apply God's wisdom to the number of our days so that we can live fruitful lives, God-filled lives, not wasted lives. And so let's start off in verse uh, one of Psalm chapter 90. And we're gonna just go uh, through the Psalm bit by bit today. We're not gonna read the whole one up front. Verse one, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. I love where Moses starts the Psalm. Doesn't start with a God. Sorry, thank you, Lorelei. Doesn't start this Psalm uh, with a God who's distant with a God who is uh, far removed. He starts with a God who is involved and a God who is personal to him. And so we see the first attribute that he highlights is our God is a dwelling place. The word dwelling place, uh, yeah, means a place of refuge, a place of protection. Moses was hidden for three months, then placed into a basket, floated down the river. He, uh, he comes and he confronts uh, Pharaoh. The Egyptian army uh, follow him. Moses was acutely aware that his refuge was not a building of safety, nor was it an army that was powerful. His refuge and the nation of Israel's refuge was found in God himself. Are you hearing that this morning? Because there's some of you that just need to hear. My refuge is not going to be found in a something. It's going to be found in a someone. And it's in God himself. Maybe you've been running to many different places, but it's time to come to God again and make him your refuge. Maybe you know he is, but the, the hurt that you've experienced has just made you turn away from him rather than turn to him. And God is wanting you to run to him again this morning because he is our refuge. See, Moses is helping us to see that God is not just uh, big and mighty and over all. He's not just sovereign. Our God is personal and he's involved in our lives. He's near and he's present. Our God speaks to us. He spoke to his people then. He speaks to us through his word today. He can do it audibly if he really wants to, but he predominantly do it, does it through his word. He speaks to us. He acts on our behalf in our lives. He uh, works behind the scenes. He cares for us. He loves us. Our God is present and he's near. And it's not one-sided. It doesn't all come from God. I, w- I love the fact that we can have a relationship with him. I can speak to God. I can pray to him. I can love him, serve him. I can co-work in the earth with him. Moses is helping us to see that God and this relationship that he has with his people is not just one of control and authority, but it's one of his presence too. God wants us to know that we are his that he is our God and that he wants to dwell amongst us. Take a listen to some of these uh, verses that really just illustrate his heart around uh, that aspect, that he wants to dwell among us. Exodus 6 verse 7, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Deuteronomy 4 verse 20, but as for you, The Lord took you and brought you out 
of the iron smelting furnace out of Egypt to be the people of his inheritance as you now are. I love that word inheritance. It speaks of sons and daughters inheriting from who? A natural father? No, a heavenly, a heavenly father. I wonder what furnaces God might have taken you out of. Maybe you've experienced that in the past and now you're in another furnace and God just wants you to know you can trust him in this furnace today as well. Deuteronomy 4 verse 7. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? God is near you. Are you praying to him? Know today that he is near you. I love the language of the New Testament because when it speaks about God's closeness and nearness, he uses the language of, uh, of family, that intimate uh, kind of family relationship. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 18 says this, and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've lost your father and your father was a real uh, influencer in your life. And you don't know where to run to with decisions that you need to make, with the heartaches that you're carrying. You have a heavenly father. Won't you run to him? As I said, this psalm is written to inspire the pursuit of wisdom. What is a wisdom reflection that we can learn from this attribute of God? Well, God is present, God is near, and the question really for us is, are you and I embracing the privilege that we have of having the presence of God to enjoy daily? Are you and I embracing the privilege that we have of having the, priv uh, the presence of God to enjoy daily? Is God's presence changing our lives? Is the fact that God wants to dwell with us and we know him changing our lives? See, we become what we behold. If all we are beholding is News 24, we're going to become fearful. We are going to become, we're going to become uh, hopeless. If all we are beholding is Facebook, we're going to look at the extremely nice lives that everybody ha else has, and I'm going to get very envious I'm going to think that's never going to ha happen uh, to me. I'm going to be discontent with where uh, my life finds itself. But if I'm beholding Jesus, if I'm beholding Jesus, I'm going to begin to experience a peace in my heart no matter what the circumstances. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to begin uh, to um, experience a hope rising in my heart, maybe a prayerfulness rising in my heart to say, my God can change this situation. I'm going to come to him. I'm going to be content with where I find my life right now until God moves me on into another season. And maybe the things that I so, so thought I wanted, when I get to that new season, I don't even actually want it anymore because they're more uh, precious things that God has done in our lives. You see, we want to uh, spend time with Jesus because we want to be like Jesus. We want to, we want to uh, think like him. We want to begin to act like him because we're wanting to live for him. So our God is a dwelling place. He knows where you find yourself today. 
but he's wanting his presence to affect your daily life more than so much else affects our lives um, here in Joburg. Verse two, as we continue in this psalm, before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. Down to verse eight and 10, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years, maybe 80, if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass. What attribute do I see uh, in this uh, section? I see that our God is everlasting and judge. See, I did it again. Muses. I've done that every single time I've done this section. In the preach meeting and this morning, that's okay. At least it's not George, eh? <laughs> okay. Uh, Moses zooms out from this aspect of God being a dwelling place and personal to at the same time recognizing that our God is nothing like us. He's bigger than us. We can't understand him completely. He's massively different to us. He is everlasting and he's also judge. So let's take a look at that first little bit, Everlasting. It means he's eternal. He has no beginning, he has no end. The Bible says he's the alpha, he's the omega. Nobody is mightier, mightier nobody rules him. Our God reigns. He's the Lord of time. But he chooses to act within human time and history, making himself known from generation to generation. As we're sitting here this morning, God sees all of history and he sees it vividly. But he also sees you and I in this room. And he knows exactly where we find ourselves and he knows exactly what it is that we need. He's the God who is the Lord of time. He's creator. He's not created. He created time. He sets the length of days, the length of the night, length of the seasons, the length that a king and a president will rule in a nation. He sets the length of your and my days. He determines how long we will live. He's eternally the same. And every single one of the attributes that we looked at last week, this week, and in the next couple of weeks will never change. He's not going to become uh, evil. He can't become more good. He can't become more loving, can't become more holy. He is 100% the best, most perfect of all of those uh, descriptions uh, that he can be. He's not changing. The fact that he's an everlasting God, you might be asking why. Why is that good for us? It's good for us because it means that we can forever depend on him. It means that we can forever depend on things like this, his power. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. You and I get tired and weary, but our God never does. Never wearies of hearing our voice, never wearies of uh, us calling out to him on behalf of somebody or on, uh, for a certain situation. His power is never stinted. He's always strong. He's always mighty. We can depend on his love. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you 
with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I love this aspect of God. He has an everlasting love towards us. Wonder if you thought about that. Sometimes we think, yeah, when I become a Christian and a child of God, that's when I get to experience his everlasting love. But as I've spoken to people over the years, either in a counseling situation or sometimes just hearing their story, um, often they will reflect on God was loving me long before I even wanted anything to do with him. I've heard people who have lost loved ones, have gone through a challenging situation, and, uh, and friends have cared for them, prayed for them. Neighbors have brought meals and prayed for them. And through those things, now in hindsight, this side of all of that happening, they recognize that God was already beginning to love them then. And actually, God was loving them even before those people did that, because that is just who um, God is. We can also depend on his refuge. Deuteronomy 33 verse 27 says, the eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you saying, destroy them. Isaiah 26 verse four, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. You can depend on his mercy and truth. Psalm 110 verse five. Don't think this one comes up on the screen. For the Lord is good his mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. I'm so glad that his mercy is everlasting. I'm so glad his mercy isn't just a little drop. And uh, if, if, if you receive that drop, that's it, gone. God's mercy is everlasting. We can depend on his promises. Genesis 17 verse 7. He says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Again, you see that aspect of he wants to be our God. He wants to be among us. We can depend on his presence with us. Deuteronomy 31 verse six. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Are you going into hospital? Are you going into a new work situation? Um, is there something happening in uh, the school where your children are at and you're fear, feeling fearful and terrified? I want you to know that God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Look to him. Rest in him. So it's wonderful to know that our God is everlasting. It's wonderful also to know uh, that when it comes to his everlastingness, if that is even a word, um, these things that we've just been looking at now, we can depend on him. But what I find interesting is that when it comes to Moses, he doesn't go to any one of these on the, uh, immediately. He doesn't go there immediately. You know where Moses goes to? Verse eight and nine. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Moses is very aware that his sin, the nation of Israel's sin has, has come before God. Moses is writing this psalm and he's actually him and the nation, the generation that sinned against God in the wilderness or under God's wrath and judgment. 
God has said, for that generation that's sinned against me, you will not enter into the promised land. You're going to wander in the wilderness, and the next generation is going to enter into the promised land. Moses was writing this psalm when his life was facing, facing that. See, Moses, who knew the everlasting God who is love and the everlasting God who is a dwelling place, also knew ever, the everlasting God who is a judge. And Moses is not wanting us, when we think about the fact that God is everlasting or any one of these attributes, to think we can be picky and choosing, choosy about who God is. God is all of these wonderful things that we have uh, just spoken about, but he is also a God who is judge. It's like Moses is wanting us to be shocked awake, shocked awake to the fact that our God hates sin and he pours out his wrath on sin. Why? Because he loves us so much. That's why he wants us to know. It's important to have a good definition when it comes to uh, God's wrath though, because I think sometimes when we think about wrath, uh, we tend to think of uncontrolled anger. Our God is just having a bad hair day. Uncontrolled anger. That's why he was wrathful. But that's not the case. That's a human perspective. There's a def definition I thought was really good taken from uh, the Precept Austin uh, website. It says this, God's wrath is his settled hostility towards sin in all its various manifestations. To say it is settled hostility means that God's holiness cannot and will not coexist with sin in any form whatsoever. God's wrath is his holy hatred of all that is unholy. It is his unrighteous indignation at everything that is unrighteous. God's wrath is not uncontrollable rage. It is not vindictive bitterness. And it is not God losing his temper. Wrath is God's natural response to sin. He cannot overlook it. He cannot wink at it. He cannot pretend that it's not there. See, sometimes you and I, because we're just human beings, battle uh, to see a God who is both love and judge. A God who is love, but will also pour out his wrath. We sometimes think that they're in conflict with one another. We think that they can't exist together. But that's not really the case. You see, God's wrath supports his love. Think about Moses for a moment. Think about Moses and God speaking to him from the burning bush. He says, I have heard the cries of my people. I've seen their misery and I'm gonna come and rescue them. That's love. Immediately after that, he says, and I am gonna stretch out my hand and I'm gonna strike the Egyptians. That's wrath. You see, if God is gonna love his people, he has to be just. He has to have justice and he has to be judge. He's both love and wrath. He smites, but he also wonderfully, lovingly rescues. Romans 12 verse nine says this, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. God's love is sincere. He hates evil and he pours out his wrath 
on it. We see his love and wrath really uh, ultimately being displayed when he sends his son Jesus. John 3 verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. God doesn't want to condemn the world, so he sends his son Jesus. That's love. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. See, that verse helps us to see that when God lovingly sent his son, it didn't mean that he overlooked sin. God just chose to pay the price that we should have paid. Jesus is the one who endured God's wrath for my sin and for your sin. The wrath that you and I should have endured. I hope this morning if you know who Jesus is and you've surrendered your life to him, that you're just reminded at the incredible work that God has done on our behalf by sending his son, Jesus. Jesus was pierced. Jesus was crushed. This was God's wrath on our sin. His love to send his son. His wrath to punish his son for our sin. Do we automatically receive this great salvation and love? I want to tell you this morning we don't automatically receive it. There's some people who think if they've heard the message and they sit in church every single week, they've automatically received his love and his salvation. But that's not the case. Just like the Israelites had to paint their doorposts with the blood of a spotless lamb, they had to take that step. We have a step to take too to be saved. John 3 verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Verse 36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. 1 John 1 verse 9. If you confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, the step that you and I need to take in order to be saved is to confess our sins and then to believe in Jesus who has done all of the work and, uh, on our behalf. Believe that he has acted on our behalf. And when we do, God sees, 
God the Father sees. Just like he did with the Egyptians, like with the Israelites in Egypt. God our Father sees that Jesus has been applied to the doorposts of my life and your life. And he passes over us. His wrath no longer for us. His wrath poured out on his son, Jesus. I'm so grateful that God's wrath isn't immediately poured out. How many of you are also grateful? Otherwise, I wouldn't be standing here. None of us would be standing here. If God's wrath was immediately poured out the moment that we sinned, well, hey, we would, we, none of us would be standing. Psalm 103 verse 8 says this, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He has to pour out his wrath on sin, but he, at the moment he is patient. He's gracious, slow to anger. It's the only reason why he hasn't poured out his wrath on you and me. Sometimes when we think of that, we, 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 we think, okay, well, we'll, we'll just not uh, respond to the step that we need to take. Because, hey, God's gracious and compassionate, Right? Well, Corinthians says that today is the day of salvation. Hebrews says today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart like in the rebellion. And so I want to encourage you, if God is speaking to your heart today concerning I need to take a step to confess and believe, then um, do it today. Don't wait for years down the road. You don't know if you'll even get there. Do it today. What is a wisdom reflection when it comes to this particular attribute? When you think about God, do you just think about his love? Or do you consider his wrath too? Actually, when we consider his wrath, we, we appreciate his love all the more. Because without God's love, uh, wrath, we wouldn't understand that he loves us so deeply. But because of his wrath, we understand that he made a choice to make a plan for us. He did it because we could have never done it. Have you taken the step to confess and believe? So Moses is writing this at the end of his life. He's considering who God is. As he considers who God is, he recognizes who he is, and then he responds. And we're gonna just look for a couple of moments at how Moses responds. For me, it's really, he just acts wisely. He sees God, he sees himself, and he takes a wise action uh, step. He acts wisely. First thing I see Moses do is he recognizes God is eternal, but man's life is short. God is eternal. My life and your life is actually short. Psalm 90 verse 3, you turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. Verse 5 and 6, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up, but by evening it is dry and withered. Our lives are just like a piece of grass that rises in the morning and is withered uh, by the end of the day. Our lives are short. How does he respond as he recognizes this about God? He prays for a teachableness. A teachableness that will cause, cause them to live the days of their lives in step with God's wisdom, not their own. Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. 
Next thing I see Moses recognizing is he recognizes that God sees all sin. No big, no small, no uh, in public secret. He sees all of it. God sees all of that sin. Verse eight, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Moses also recognizes the power of God's anger against sin. Verse 11, if only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. What does he do? He prays for compassion. Verse 13, relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. And then Moses recognizes that sinning against God has consequences. Verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Verse 10, the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. What does he do as he recognizes that? He prays for God's blueprint again. He prays for what was God's intention for his people. That remains God's intention for you and for me. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you, as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. It's like Moses is done pursuing his own way because it has not got them very far. He's done with the nation pursuing their own way, because it has not got them very far. It has brought trouble, it has been brought sorrow, and it has left the ends of their lives with nothing more than moaning. Moses instead, Moses instead cries out to God, God, I want to see you almost restore your heart's intent, your original design for us as your, as, as your people. He prays, maybe have satisfaction in your unfailing love. It's the only place we're gonna find satisfaction is in God's love. And when we do, it doesn't matter what day comes, we're gonna find ourselves joyful and glad because it's not based on circumstances, it's based on an absolute. God's unfailing love. And then he wants his people to know the deeds of God again. God always wanted the nations to see what uh, it is like to follow him. He prays for the deeds of God to be seen again. And he says he, he, he prays for God's favor. That word means beauty to be seen on them. God's beauty is to be seen upon his people again. God's wanting his beauty to be displayed on our lives and through our lives as followers of, of, of him. Because there's people that he wants to reach with his love, just like he reached us with his love and forgiveness. He wants the work of his hands to be established. In other words, fruitful and lasting, not temporary, something that's gonna last and be fruitful. What's the wisdom reflection? Moses had a lot of time in the wilderness to have God shape his thinking and his desires. As you consider God this morning, as you consider where you find yourself, how are you gonna to respond to this God? Whose blueprint 
are you living for? Is it God's or is it yours? The band's going to join me up on, on stage. And there's going to be a, a slide that comes up now, and it's really just a passage that we've been looking at this morning. Thanks, guys. I just broke it up into different colors as best as what I can, could. First little bit is, this is who God is. You've seen a little bit of that this morning. He's a dwelling place. He's everlasting. He's also a judge. Maybe you've understood a little bit of who you are or you know where you found your, find yourself today. You know what's going on inside of your heart. You know where uh, you are located. And in view of who God is and where you're at, what is your response to him gonna be? I'm gonna ask you just to close your eyes for a couple of moments. Think about that. Like I say, you know where you're at. Think about those attributes, dwelling place, everlasting. So his love is always there, his power is always there, all of those things, judged. Where's your life at today? How do you need to respond? Maybe just voice that to God, not audibly, but just in your heart. Lord, this is who you are. This is where I am. I want to respond like this. ask us just to stand. He's a good God. He loves us. He loves you this morning. I want to pray for us. Two groups of people. Those of you that just need to embrace God as your dwelling place today. Then I want to pray for those of us who know we need to just make right with God. We know that, uh, that uh, we are walking out of step with him. We're walking in a sinful uh, li- lifestyle or we're uh, embracing sin. Maybe we have never entrusted our lives to him. If someone were, someone were to ask you, uh, would uh, God the Father see Jesus on the doorframe of your life? You would have to say no because I've never confessed my sin to him or believed in him. Today, Jesus is wanting you to to take that step. So I'm gonna pray for us. First group of people, if you're just needing to respond to Jesus as a dwelling place, I'm gonna ask you to put your hands up really nice and high. I see hands all over the place. And then I wanna ask those of you that needed to respond to Jesus as uh, the one who saves, the one who rescues. Don't you wanna put up your hand really nice and high? Everybody just leave your hands up nice and high. Respond to Jesus today. To say, save me, Lord. I confess my sin. I want to believe in you. I see hands going up in different places. It's not about me. I'm not on an ego trip. I want you to know the love of Jesus. I want you to know his salvation. 
I want you, when you come to the end of your life, to know God looking over your life and passing over your life, not with wrath, but with love. Have you chosen to put your faith in Jesus? Is there anybody else that needs to respond? I'm gonna pray for those two groups of people. Lord, you know every single person in this place. Lord, maybe some people had the boldness to put up their hands to say they need you. Maybe others, their hearts are raised, but they don't have the boldness to put up their hands, but you see their heart as well. Lord, I wanna pray today. Lord, that as they confess their sin to you, you would do what your word says. You would be faithful and just to forgive their sin. Lord, I pray today that the work of Jesus on the cross for them would take on new meaning. Lord, that they would understand how loved they are uh, by you. Lord, I pray that today would be the beginning of a wonderful journey of knowing Jesus. And then Lord, maybe for some people in this room, they just know that they have not been pursuing you. Lord, they've been walking in sin. Lord, may they ask you for forgiveness again today. Lord, may they turn to you um, so that that relationship with you can be, be uh, strong and close and near. And then, Lord, I want to pray for those in this room today that just need to know you as their dwelling place in whatever form that means to them. Lord, I pray that they would know that you are involved in their life, that you love them, that you're close that you're near, that you're not distant, you're not aloof, you're not saying sort us out yourself, Lord, you're wanting to draw near to them because you're their dwelling place. Lord, won't you encourage hearts all around this room, even as we go into a time of worship now again. Lord, won't you encourage hearts because you're the one who is everlasting, you're all of these wonderful traits and the ones that we don't like so much. You're all of it in one package. And today, Lord, we choose to embrace all of who you are because we know every single one of those traits is for our good. And so, Lord, we come before you in a posture of worship to lift up your name. Let us sing, guys.